You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Left in Nebraska and over a crest on a little patch of heaven way out west. Everything's green, know what I mean. Darling, it's quite the sweetest sight that you ever done seen. Ain't nothing much out there, just life at its best on a little patch of heaven way out west. Welcome to Before They Were Live an ongoing and monthly conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, doing our best to play a part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Today, we're going to do our best to wrestle something of worth out of the 45th film in the canon, 2004's Home in the Range. If Walt Disney weren't chirogenically frozen and awaiting reanimation under the Pirates of uh, Caribbean attraction at Disneyland, he would surely be rolling over in his grave at this one. Um, joining me as always, and I hope he's sitting in his comfy place, is Michael Farmer. Hey, Michael. How's it going, Josh? Oh, man. This one was uh, this one was not fun. Um, no. You know, you know, there's a... Joyless. My, I, yeah. I watched it with my, my dad. My mom kind of slept through it. <laughs> she got the better end of the deal, I think. But when it was over, he said, you know, he said, it just didn't feel like a Disney movie. And I think that's that's a good summation. It just it feels it was really bad and it felt extremely out of place. It, it Even, feels very much like a DreamWorks movie. It feels like they saw that Shrek had been a success and they decided that what they needed to take from the success of Shrek was that people like really vulgar movies for children. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I'd, it's hard to say, you know, the, so the, um, the director on this one, he was a Disney animator and then he, he left Disney animation, um, and worked on a movie I've not seen, but it's called the road to El Dorado. Is that DreamWorks? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, it is. The road that's, to El Dorado. The, that's the one that, w- that opened opposite, uh, Emperor's New Groove, isn't it? Um, yeah, something. I think that's it right. It was a big yes, flop, yes. like a, fam- yeah, yeah, yeah. a famous flop. Yeah, that's right. So he he did work on that. He would he did not direct that. He did additional sequences, according to Wikipedia. Um, but then he came back to the Disney Studio for Home on the Range and did the story, and you know wrote and directed this one. And um, yeah, yeah, it's so it does have a little bit of that uh, DreamWorks. I guess I guess he brought that back with him. I <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then the other guy who worked on this film uh, doesn't even have a a Wikipedia page, so I really don't know anything about him. John Sanford is the other director and writer on this, so I don't know what else he has done. But I feel like if we were in a, a slightly different podcast, like if we were investigative journalists, this episode would be like what we were building to the entire time, like. Yeah. Yeah, it does could, seem like the, it shows what's broken at the studio. Yeah. How could a movie 
that came out of the same studio that produced I mean we're we're not even ten years from Lion King, right? Lion King was ninety five, is that right? Ninety four, so uh, we're I think ten oh, years. Oh, so we're exactly yeah, we're exactly ten years. Ninety four to two thousand four. You know, so how does in ten years does a studio go like this? And it's you know, I was expecting um I was expecting it to be more along the lines of what we've been watching. Like yeah. these kind of near near miss films. Oh, this isn't a near miss. No, it's not at all. It's uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, you know, there's that quote about bankruptcy that it happens real slowly and then all at once. I feel like that that kind of applies here. Like the the trend downward was definitely there in the last few movies that we've seen, but this was uh, uh, what <laughs> a, a very steep drop. I can't say that word. Um, yeah, yeah, and and who. Who knows what went wrong? I know that the uh, the director who doesn't have the Wikipedia page, John Sanford, has been very touchy about critiques online. And in particular, he told the loathsome, in my opinion, nostalgia critic to F off because he called this movie lazy. Um, so I don't I don't know who which I like, uh, which I like less home on the range or the nostalgia critic, because that guy is uh, that guy is terrible in every conceivable way. So it almost makes me want to like this movie just because he hated it so much. <laughs> um, but I, I think I think I think Sanford's objection was that it was like some sort of laziness on the part of the animators or the creators. And, and I think what he would tell us is that a lot of this has to do with directions coming down from the top of the studio, which is why which is why I think that Shrek has something to do with how bad this movie is, because Shrek was a huge hit. It made fun of Disney. It made fun of. Eisner in particular, um, and I, you know, this is the last movie that Eisner is involved in, I believe. I think he gets kicked out of the studio right after this comes out because it's such a flop. And I really wonder how much of the aggravating tone of Home on the Range has to do with Eisner wanting to beat DreamWorks at their own game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that could be. I, yeah, I... Yeah, like I said, if we were, if we, if if this was a slightly different podcast, I guess I would know all the details of that. But I, I think it's a very good conjecture um, that that's that's what happened. I was trying to figure out, maybe you know this. I think um, when this movie was originally um, like greenlit, it was still under um, what's his name, Pete Schneider, I think is his name. Uh -huh. um, but I think it was also near the end of his run of. Um, of a uh, president of feature animation. I don't know who the president after him was. Um, I'm trying to look right now. Oh, Thomas, Thomas Schumacher. 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 Yeah. So, and actually he's, but oh, he he's, wasn't here for this either. He's it's David Stanton is the oh, guy who yeah, was in right. charge. Okay. Yeah. 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 Who certainly made but, a stain on a ton of, uh, <laughs> early two thousands <laughs> Disney movies. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's right. Cause David Stainton then is the last one before the uh, Pixar merger and, uh, Catmull takes and takes over after him. And we, we start to get back on the, uh, the upswing. So yeah, David Stainton, I guess we could lay some of the problems at his feet as well. Um, perhaps, I don't know. I don't know how fair that is. I think part of it too. I mean, if you just look at the, again, Wikipedia knows all, but like the production, um, background on this movie, like it was, it was three very different, movies you know throughout its time um 
trying to get to production and that's that's never good either right when like the story just can't come together as like what kind of movie this is going to be although oh, worth pointing out i mean it's a very similar production story to emperor's new groove a movie which we loved but i think emperor's new groove is just kind of a miraculous thing and this is going to be much more typical of that heavy executive meddling than uh than emperor is right yeah i think that's exactly exactly true the executives meddle and then we get really really awful movies <laughs> have we talked on this show about how much i hate shrek I feel like that's something I probably <laughs> mentioned. I, I really hate Shrek, and this movie. No, that come up? <laughs> this movie is um, it's, it's just very Shrekian, and it starts from the moment Roseanne Barr starts talking, and she makes this joke about her udders. Yeah, they're real. Quit staring. It's mm-hmm. it's right out of Shrek. Shrek has that horrible joke where, um, the gingerbread man is being, being tortured and interrogated, and he says, "Eat me," and it's it's this. You know, it's this idea that, oh, well, the kids won't get this joke, but the parents will think it's hysterical. But really, the only person who would think that joke is hysterical is like a 13-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely did not set the tone well for this movie. (laughs) That was the first joke out of the gate. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) What has happened to my beloved Disney, you know? Right. Well, I hope that the I hope that the writers of the Lion King saw this and th- and thought, oh, this is our fault for making Pumbaa make the fart joke. Yeah, I mean, there is some of that in there, you know, like there there is definitely a line that that you could trace from that fart joke to here. Because there's a lot of uh, burping and <laughs> yeah. whatever that I guess is supposed to be funny also. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really and vulgar movie. And. uh yeah, there's there is definitely that line. There's I think um I'm trying to remember because I just read this recently. I I I want to say it was um uh John Ruskin um who and I, I should have written this down, but it just came to my head now. Um, but jo- John Ruskin is a you know famous uh, philosopher and art critic, and he said something about exactly what you're talking about where like even if there's something that we can appreciate at the time for what they were trying to do if it if it sets a trajectory that leads to all sorts of abuse then it'd be better if it hadn't happened you know so like the fart joke in in lion king is fairly harmless um and lion king is an excellent movie like it doesn't detract from the excellence of lion king but it does set the trajectory um in a direction that that i think is is uh is really bad I yeah. Think, um, yeah. Although, again, I am. I'm sorry, I, I don't have the John Weston quote in front of me. I I am in, inclined to blame the Shrek movies uh, more than the Lion King. Although the Lion King, I do think, opens the door to that sort of vulgar family movie. The thing about the vulgarity in this movie is it's so joyless. Like I I I you know have an appetite for vulgarity sometimes. I can I can appreciate vulgar humor maybe even in a kids movie, but it it just seems it it. It, it doesn't seem inspired or funny or interesting in any way here. It's just, it's just vulgar to be vulgar. It's like what, what kids want is a rude movie and let's make this movie rude. It, it feels very uh, calculated. Yeah. And, and again, I, I think it suffers um, in comparison to Emperor's New Groove, which is such a joyful movie, right? Like Emperor's New Groove is weird and edgy, but it all feels like it's coming from 
a human being creating it, whereas this feels like a corporate product attempting to emulate something better. Yeah, that's <laughs> Are you saying that Shrek was something better? Something better than this? I think probably. <laughs> I mean, I hate I I really hate Shrek. But I I, like I Shrek was at least something different when it came out. Do you know what I mean? Like like right. we, I don't know. I saw it in 2001 or whenever that movie came out and I remember thinking, "Oh, well, you know, it's it's poking holes in something uh, it's 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 cynical and it's it's overthrowing this model of what a children's movie can be and I don't really like the movie but at least at least it um, at least it was something different this this just it really does feel like Eisner or whoever said uh, saw, saw this movie that was already under production and said we need to make this more like Shrek mm-hmm. yeah. At but least nobody that, has a completely superfluous Scottish accent in this. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, even even that theory, um, which may be exactly what happened, is it still like uh reveals the fact that Disney is on unsure footing, right? Because if you're on if you're on really sure footing as a as a person or as a company, um you don't see a threat uh, in in something like Shrek, you know, and say, oh, we need to recalculate everything that we're doing. Like you're 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 the Disney Animation Studios, you know, like you don't have to like, I don't know, pretend to be the upstart, you know, I, yeah. don't, I don't quite get that. But the Vandal Sack Rome, you know what I mean? Like empires, empires fall and they yeah. get they get taken down by groups that that shouldn't be able to do that right yeah hmm. so i was, I was <laughs> it's it's was, just such a depressing movie like it's 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 got this like manic energy that isn't actually energy it's 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 i i just found it enervating and depressing yeah and it made well, me angry yeah. <laughs> the manic energy, I think, I think that's a good kind of transition to the only, like, I was trying to find something not necessarily kind to say about the movie, but like try and like trace a thread, you know, because like we've we've done that before, like tried to try to kind of trace a thread, like how does this relate to um, what Disney has done before or whatever. And I think this movie, if it had been like the plot of it, not the not the vulgarity and the crudeness of it, but like the plot of it. Yeah, like the plot's I feel good. Like it, it could have been like a silly symphony yes, or something. This, this could have been know? a good. This could have been a good movie with this with this plot where the where the cows want to rustle the cattle rustler. Like that's that's not a bad plot. Yeah, um, and like I mean, even the 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 goofiness. I mean, the the energy and the goofiness feels more like you know in the silly symphony vein to me, you know, um, and the uh, you know even the 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 silly idea of the cattle rustler rustling by yodeling um, is his his method of you know hypnotizing these cows and, and being whatever they call them in the movie the the, the pied piper um, they had some clever way of saying it or you know it's, it's all, it's the all very the whale who sang, wanted to sing at the Met right yeah 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 and I think that's another thing is like it does it does as far as like finding threads, like it does seem to harken back a little bit to the package films. 
Um, like the character design looks a little. Yeah, it's very fifties. I don't know. Yeah, Johnny Appleseed or uh, Pecos Bill or or something like that. You know. Um, and so. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the the animation is kind of like those, but with actually well done animation. Like there there really isn't anything wrong with the actual craft of what the animators are doing. The problem is with the script and with the voice acting. Yeah. I don't know. I think the fifties animation, well, <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to go back and rewatch it. I know the fifties is done by like, you know, some of the masters of animation and they're just working under uh, budget constraints, right. you know, right. versus these guys who are not under budget constraints, but are definitely not, you know, being hailed as the masters of the craft. So I'd, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to do a side-by-side look, which I, I didn't take the time to do, but um, yeah, I didn't love the character design of like the cows and stuff like that, I, but I don't know. It was, I, I, found, I found it kind of off-putting the way they would use their tails as like prehensile limbs. Mm-hmm. They could pick things up <laughs> with them and they like pulled each other close to each other using their tails. I, I get what they right. were going for and God forbid I complained that this movie about <laughs> about cows rustling cattle rustlers is not realistic but i i found that cows are not natural animals for um for children's animation i think just because of the way their bodies work mm-hmm. yeah the, i think the good cows that we've seen would be like in mary poppins like there's that there's the i mean they're only in it for a second you know but like there's like the uh that's the animated singing scene, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some cows in there that look pretty good compared to these cows, at least. But yeah, like they're not they're not trying to carry that whole movie, <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah. I mean, the best thing about this movie is the music. The score is great. It's by uh, by Alan Menken. And I really like, I mean, I've been talking about it for several months. The Katie Lang song, Little Patch of Heaven, I think is, is, a, is a fantastic song. And mm-hmm. the, the Bonnie Raitt song, uh, Will the Sun Ever Shine Again, also a really good song. So it, it's mm-hmm. too bad that they couldn't write a movie that would be worthy of the music that Alan Menken put together. And the, um, you know, the... The score is kind of Aaron Copeland-esque. It owes something to Rodeo or Appalachian Spring or like the John Ford movies, a very similar score. Um, but I, I thought all of that was really well done, and I liked the songs. But, oh, my gosh. It's anytime, anytime Bonnie Raitt and Katie Lang aren't singing, the movie's just unbearable. Yeah. Actually, for me, it was... The movie was so bad that it it really even overshadowed the score and the song. I mean, I try and pay attention to all that stuff, but I was I was not into this movie. It was I watched the, the there was a little making of thing that you can find on YouTube. It's like 15 minutes long, and in there, you know, of course they visit the songs and the songs without the context of the movie was when I was like, oh, these songs are actually pretty good. Um, but yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't even enjoy them during the movie. Like uh, I came out of the movie thinking, man, Alan Menken did this and it, they weren't, the songs weren't even good, but um, on, on post reflection and, and hearing them outside of the context of the movie, I agree with you that they are pretty good, but they, they couldn't rise for me, at least they couldn't rise even high enough for me to enjoy them during the movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, the songs are at least a break in the movie. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's the kind of montage songs. 
right. uh, except for the villain song, the the Randy Quaid yodeling song. They, yeah. they they do kind of stop the movie to do the songs, and and in that sense, they're very merciful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Roseanne Barr is not talking while the songs are while the songs are playing. <laughs> I don't know who thought that was a good idea. I, I mean, by 2004, did anybody still like Roseanne Barr? I mean, she wasn't, she didn't have the cultural position she has today. But like, who thought somebody would want to listen to Roseanne Barr talk for 76 minutes? Yeah, I don't. I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this movie basically killed her career. You know that. Is that right? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Like, I honestly, I don't know much about Roseanne Barr at all. Like, I know about the, uh, the, um, what the Star Spangled Banner. Right. <laughs> that's about it that I know about Roseanne Barr. Like, that's that's about really my extent of knowledge of her. I mean, I know she had a television show for a long time, but we, I never watched it, so right. I don't know anything about that. When she got kicked off her most recent show, the the kind of reboot of Roseanne, because she made some really remarkably racist remarks in public and so now she's a non-person but that mm-hmm. show was her that show was her comeback she had done very little after home on the range she she hadn't mm. been in another movie for 10 years after home on the range and she just just done like episodes here and there like one episode of a show or she had a reality show called roseanne's nuts that were all about her she has a had a has a macadamia nut plantation in hawaii and she she did a reality show about that, and she was going to run for president. And but like she 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 couldn't get arrested after this movie, as you know, rightly so. It's a terrible, terrible movie, and she's awful in it. She might be the worst part of it. Yeah, it's almost like her character. She's the the worst thing that ever happened to the farm. <laughs> Isn't that what Miss Calloway says? Mrs. Calloway says. Uh... Oh, man. Patch of Heaven has survived every hardship that nature can dish out, but you, <laughs> Maggie, are the biggest catastrophe to ever hit our farm. She's only been there like 45 seconds when they decide they have to sell the farm. <laughs> and you know what I didn't understand is the, the – the what's the woman's name? Pearl? That's the that's the owner? She's yeah, like, well, I, I can't so. sell my animals. We're family. Yeah, but this new cow, <laughs> which is a show cow and could probably fetch you $750, just showed up like a, like a minute and a half ago. Why don't you just sell that cow and use the proceeds to save the farm? And then, you know, we don't have to deal with Roseanne for another 70 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. But like, yeah, so, yeah, there's several elements of the plot that don't don't quite hold together either. You know, like they including this this whole patch of heaven thing, like it's 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 plot convenience that patch of heaven is up for auction in the midst of um, slim uh, going through and buying up all the land. Right. Like he doesn't even know about patch of heaven. So he has no influence on the fact, which is maybe my, the only gag I actually enjoyed in the movie is that patch of heaven is exactly the, the the shape of Willie's head and Willie sits in the same place in front of the map every time. Right. Well, and we happen, we happen to have dinner with some (laughs) listeners last night, Brett and Kelly Gilbert. And Kelly said that that's the one funny thing in the movie. And she's, she's pretty much right. And and it is funny. Like that was a good gag. It was a very emperor's new groove gag. Yeah. (laughs) It was the one, yeah, the the one moment that I enjoyed. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah. So it's it's mere 
you know, like there's no reason for Patch of Heaven to be up for um, auction except that Slim is buying all the land, but he's only buying the land from the, the surrounding acreages because they're, they're um, you know, ones that he has already stolen the cattle from and, and driven them into bankruptcy. So like, it, yeah, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't hold together right. at and, all. And didn't she just buy Maggie? Like they're not bringing Maggie to her out of the goodness of their heart. Presumably she paid for this show cow for God knows what reason. Like, wouldn't that have, isn't that what bankrupted her in the first place? It's it's really baffling. Yeah, well, the, yeah. <laughs> Don't look at it too hard. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't actually have a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a story for your movie, I mean. And you're just, you know. Hey, you know what would be, like, really, the, the thing that, like, followed through from, from the different iterations, as far as I can tell, is wouldn't it be funny if we had a fat cowboy named Slim? <laughs> that's like the, that's like the one thing that carried through. And so when that's your whole plot line, uh, yeah, there's there's some, obviously some problems. Yeah, and that's another thing that they took from DreamWorks. I'm trying to remember what was that fish movie DreamWorks did with Will Smith? Mm, is it Sharks? Is that what it's called? Shark Tale. Shark Tale. There Do you, you remember go. how everybody in that movie looked like their voice actor? Mm, yeah. <laughs> they've done they've done that here too, right? Like, because Randy Quaid looks like Alameda Slim, and Cuba Gooding Jr. Buck really looks like a horse version of Cuba Gooding Jr. And, and the worst of all, Wesley is like just clearly just Steve Buscemi. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a clear cameo. I don't know why that annoys me, but it does. I, I never liked it on The Simpsons when um, the the guest voices would play themselves instead of like a character that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, I know that, I mean, you know, an- that's how animators often work is that they watch the voice performances and then they animate. And so, like, I mean, we've been talking about this for you know, the entire run of the show, like how, you know, there, there'll be mannerisms or something of, of an actor or actress that, that kind of get moved over into the character. But, but there is, there is some line you're right that is crossed when it just becomes a caricature of the, of the living person instead of their own, you know, their, I, I mean, animation, like it's the, you mentioned that this movie is so joyless, but like, I think there's, there is a joy of, you know, seeing, seeing drawings come to life, you know, like that's, that's the whole thing with like what hand-drawn animation is. And so I think that that might be part of why it bothers you. It's like wherever that line crosses, it's like you've lost that joy of seeing uh, a picture come to life because instead what you've seen is a life become a picture. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, and then also the characters, I'm thinking here especially of Estelle Harris as the chicken, the characters are relying rather than being a character, they're they're just a reference to a more famous character from another property. And mm-hmm. I mean, Estelle Harris has been in a couple of other, these other movies, and she's always just playing George's mom from Seinfeld, right? Which is a great character. Everybody loves George's mom on Seinfeld, but it... Mm-hmm. The, the the movie I, I hate to use the L word because I don't want the I don't want the director to tell me to f off, 
But um, <laughs> there is something lazy about that, right? That instead of instead of writing a new character, you just make George's mom a chicken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and well, and it draws out the it takes away from the timelessness of things too, right? Like this is something that something else that we've talked about before. Like, um, you know, Jungle Book still feels timeless, even though Baloo uh, is is basically, um, you know, doing what's his name, Phil Harris? Yeah, is that right? It's Phil. It's just yeah. Phil. He's doing Phil Harris's act from the radio. But I I do wonder if that would feel timeless to us if if it had been contemporary. I, I mean, I, I guess the thing is that act on the radio had been off the radio for 10 years by the time the jungle book came out. So it's, it's not something that's contemporary. It's, it's a throwback. And for us, it's a throwback. I mean, it's more like when you listen to the Phil Harris show on the radio, you think, Oh, it's blue. So I, I wonder right. if that's just that we didn't have familiarity with the source material before, um, before we saw the movie. Okay, but yeah, point taken. But what I, I think what I'm trying to get at is there's it's not just a a reference to the Phil Harris show on the radio, you know. Like there's there's more to Baloo than that. So like it out it outlives it, even though it may have been a reference at the time if we'd watched it as a contemporary and be like, oh, that sounds like you know the Phil Harris radio show. Like no one's, I mean, Seinfeld is also you know like going to live forever in syndication and on Netflix and all that stuff. But like, who's going to get the, well, who's going to watch this movie first of all, but if you are watching this movie, who's going to be like, Oh, that's George's mom. You know, like there's just the, the, as soon as the, the connection breaks of like your audience knows this, like it has to either stand on its own or just fall flat. And I feel like these ones are the ones that are just going to fall flat because there's nothing to stand on their own there. Right. Yeah. She's not, she's not funny in this movie unless you, it, it, you just like, it's just kind of a reference to how funny she is on Seinfeld, right. which again, seems like a very DreamWorks MO to me. Yeah. Did DreamWorks do that movie ants? Remember ants? Yeah, they did. I mean, DreamWorks whole thing was like, and I don't, I don't know. This is, I don't know if this is conspiracy theory or if this is just how Hollywood works or what, you know, but like, so Jeffrey Katzenberg leaves Disney to go to DreamWorks during the production of all these, like all these movies have to be in production at the same time, right? Like Bugs Life, Finding Nemo, like they've all got to be at least, you know, a glint in some director's eye <laughs> at that point, right? Right. And then DreamWorks' first films are like Ants Against uh bugs life. against bugs life shark tale against nemo um road to el dorado against uh emperor's new groove like it just Flush, seems a flushed little... away versus ratatouille is that right right uh maybe yeah but it's i don't know it just seems a little too much to be coincidence you know <laughs> to me at least <laughs> i'm sure somebody's fleshed this whole thing out somewhere yeah yeah. And I don't know that I need to blame all that on Jeffrey Katzenberg, but it's like, well, you were pretty high up at Disney and pretty like, I'm sure you are aware of most things that were going on, you know? But I mean, uh, but it's worth pointing out the movie they hit big with is not a movie that, that has a Disney, a corresponding Disney movie. Like the one they hit big with is Shrek, which isn't like anything that Disney had done. And that uh, that's why I think Disney ends up feeling like they have to play catch up after that. Right. Because I mean, they they clean the floor with them on bugs life. They clean the floor with them on Nemo. 
But this one, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. Shrek opened opposite what? Like that? It probably opened opposite Atlantis or something like that. I honestly do not know. So Atlantis comes out in June 2001, which has got to be the same time as Shrek, because I remember seeing Shrek after my my freshman year of college. Yeah, it came out in May 2001, so they're basically opening opposite each other. And and Atlantis is a pretty big flop, and Shrek is this huge hit that creates a, a whole empire of terrible Mike Myers cartoons. Yeah. I mean, Atlantis is a better movie than Shrek, which is not saying that much. I don't know. I, I, we, we really should be crapping all over Home on the Range, not over Shrek, but I hate Shrek so much. And I, I really do feel like the tone of this movie is an attempt to match that tone in DreamWorks, in early DreamWorks movies. Now, I haven't watched DreamWorks movies since then, um, but my understanding is they have evened out some, and it's not so much, look at this pop culture reference, Mom and Dad, you'll enjoy this too, that they're actually, they, they've actually made a number of intelligent, emotionally effective movies but certainly their brand early on was pop culture reference and vulgarity yeah i feel like that is absolutely true i'm trying to look at their 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 list of films here to see if i've seen anything i don't think i have honestly oh i think i did see how to train your dragon which is another one that's you know the another disney crossover guy because um that's the the guy who came up with well, not came up with those. They're based on a series of books, but the one, the guy who drew those is, um, or directed those. I'm sorry, can't talk today. Um, is Chris Sanders who did the, uh, who did uh, Lilo and Stitch? Right, right. So I've heard those movies are pretty good. So I'm I, sure within like the lower ranks of uh, of uh, of animators, there's probably a lot of crossover. Like well, people sure, have yeah. animated on both, but like I'm talking about, you know, big, like near the top, you know, directors and stuff like that crossing over. Um, He's he's one that crossed over from Disney to to uh, DreamWorks. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, before, you're right. We should be talking we, more. Before about we move this too far on from the voice acting, <laughs> I want to make sure we take a dump on Cuba Gooding Jr. as Buck. <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. You'll remember won the Oscar for uh, for, for Jerry Maguire in a very similar performance to what he's giving here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was never a good actor. Um, that was not a good movie. It was not a good part. And he did a number of really crappy movies after he won that Oscar. And this has got to be the nadir. This has got to be worse even than Boat Trip. Or uh, what was the movie he made about the developmentally disabled kid? Radio. You remember that movie? Mm-mm. I uh, missed that one. <laughs> well, he's very he's very bad in this. It's a huge performance. It's very stupid. Um, and I don't know if they told him to go bigger or he just went big and they made they made the character bigger because of it. But, oh, man, is that an annoying character? Yeah, it's a waste, really. <laughs> but really not a waste old. of Cuba Gooding Jr., right? Because like, I, I really don't know that he's capable of better than this. <laughs> I just mean, like, there's so, <clears throat> yeah, I th- there's not much nice I can say about this movie, you know? the 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 there is definitely when we get to tangled we are going to see the resurrection of this horse character i feel like um and and probably a, a 
in a better way and a better performance, you know, right. like in a better movie, like it works, you know, but there's a, there's a horse that does all sorts of ridiculous, um, you know, cantering across a, a roof and being stealthy and stuff, you know, uh, sniffing the ground like a dog, all, all those sorts of things, um, you know, fighting, fighting bad guys, but it works, it works better. I think maybe it's just a better movie. Maybe I'm just biased because my kids like it so much. I really I also like that movie. Careful, they, I can't, why I, did they I, not I, just uh, cast Patrick Warburton, who they obviously got for the small him. part, but he would have yeah, been great in that role. <laughs> <laughs> I know. When he popped up, I was like, oh, man, wait a second. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think the the character Max entangled, at least tangled the series, um, the, the the television show that followed. I don't I don't remember how much Max plays a part in Tangled the movie because I haven't watched the movie in, in, in quite some time. But I feel like we'll we'll see similarities there. And I actually liked most of that animation. Like I liked uh, how the horse looked much better than how the cows looked. Maybe I just I mean horses are obviously much more uh, noble creatures than than cows anyway. But. You know, I, mean, I, you... I did like the, the kind of Quentin Tarantino <laughs> dream sequence with the yes, horse. Yeah, I thought that was really good. It had a bit of like a Samurai Jack feel or something in the animation quality that I really liked. But then the other Kung Fu stuff they did in the movie I found annoying when, when Grace, the Jennifer Tilly cow, kicks the cowbell into Alameda Slim's mouth. I didn't. Oh, I didn't man. like that. Anna. But something about it being a dream sequence, I suppose, and being obviously a dream sequence, made that that Tarantino homage very funny to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on the the cowbell kick was was not as cool. Tarantino was good, which I think Samurai Jack owes a lot to Tarantino. Also, so I've not seen that, that movie. Is that, is that animated? It's a, it's not a movie. It's a it's a animated series. Uh, it was on Cartoon Network back when we were in college. It's really well, as far as I remember. I haven't revisited it in fifteen years, but as far as I remember, it was very very good. Huh. I mean, I could see I could see how you could make a like good Tarantino influenced cartoon because so much so much of Tarantino is cartoon anyway. Mm-hmm. Especially like late nineties. Tarantino. Yeah. He always fights robots, so like and they're 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 robots who run on oil or something. So like there's always things spurting in ridiculous amounts just like in Tarantino, but it's always oil cuz they're they're robots cuz it's That's it's funny. animation and stuff and not. It's not so it's not bloody at all. But. That's funny. It's yeah, if if you have a chance, you should watch watch a couple episodes there. They're really good. That's got to be better than this. Oh, definitely better than this. Uh, yeah, very, 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 very much better than this. Now, I read online that even people who don't like this movie like Lucky Jack, the rabbit with the wooden leg. That yeah, was again, not my I... experience. I, like, he was less <laughs> annoying than most of the other characters, but I still wouldn't say I liked him. Yeah, I don't know that I'd go so far to like him, but like, yeah, the... the the manic energy that we were talking about earlier, like definitely like there's a lot of that with lucky Jack. And again, like I feel like if he'd been in a silly symphony or something yeah. or just sort of short, you know, like his, his little opening sequence where he's going through all those, you know, misfortunes and stuff. And then, then we revisit him later and he has some more misfortunes. Like they're, they're, 
in in their own place and in the proper proportion, that could have been been a really funny short. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. So yeah, basically this movie should have been about uh, what a magnitude shorter, <laughs> seventy-five minutes to like seven point five. Yeah, yeah. This is a seven point five minute, or it could have had a couple shorts. Like I could see, I could see a funny short about a yodeling cow, cattle rustler, a funny short about cows who are who are trying to become bounty hunters and rustle up a, you know. Uh, Russell up a cow wrestler, a funny short about a rabbit that's, you know, supposed to lucky Jack or whatever. Who's lost his lucky foot. Oh man. Can you imagine if they had just, if they had just done a Western themed, uh, package movie. I mean, I know that, I know that they, they wouldn't have done that because they, I'm sure they would have said, well, that's not, um, people don't want to see package films, but they would have actually been doing something different than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And they could have messed with the tone of the different shorts, and so you could have one that was kind of Shrekish without it being overbearing, because it's just just a few minutes long. Yeah. Oh, you could have had the Tarantino-esque, uh, you know, fight sequence in there too as a little short. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Yeah, I like this idea a lot. When Why we get our they time not just hire us to run the Disney studios? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could almost have done it like uh, Fantasia 2000 style and just thrown in, you know, Pick a Spill or something in there, too, just, you know, for the heck of it, you know, <laughs> similar to the way they threw in uh, um, whatever the the Mickey Mouse short with the, the brooms, you know, in Fantasia 2000. This probably still would have flopped, you know what I mean? But um, it would be less painful to watch 17 years later. Yeah, I think it would have been it could have been cool. I mean there's a it's it's hard to say because this movie was so bad it seems like anything else would have been cool, but like yeah, it would have been a throwback that that made sense versus this one where it's like almost like it kind of felt a little bit like a throwback to the that manic energy the silly symphonies to the character animation style of the 50s like but didn't it didn't land, you know? Like it just wasn't it wasn't great. There's actually a uh, a blog post on um, I've already mentioned Chris Sanders a couple times the the uh, Lilo and Stitch guy. He's got a website and a very very infrequently updated blog. But he's got a, a guest post from his wife. I think it's his wife, Jessica Steele Sanders. Um, and she com- makes comparisons between Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad and uh, Beauty and the Beast. And so it's almost like, uh, and she goes, you know, frame by frame on, on, on how the Disney animators were obviously very aware of this movie and were, were echoing it in some unique ways. Um, which I think is, is cool when they do that and it works well. Like Beauty and the Beast is amazing, you know? It almost feels like they were trying to do something like that with this movie with, uh, Johnny Appleseed or Pecos Bill or, um, Paul Bunyan or something, but just, it didn't it didn't work yeah. other than the other than the backgrounds i would say the backgrounds i felt like were really nice there, there, and there was a kind of mary blair feel to some of those backgrounds yeah yeah and in the little um you know featurette that i watched the the background artist is the one who specifically mentioned those older movies and draw, going back to those as a reference point so um 
Yeah. But it would have been kind of cool if they, you know, not just gone back to it as a reference point, but were like, hey, you know what? We're we're Walt Disney and we're going to uh, we're going to put out a package film again, <laughs> a Western themed package film. Yeah. That's the way to solve a story problem, I think. I do, too. If you yeah. If, you, if you, you don't can't have get enough a story here. to come together. You don't, yeah, you don't have enough here for a whole movie. It doesn't necessarily make sense. But with those with those shorts, you don't have to have the first part where you have to figure out why they have to sell the farm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you just have, oh, they're going to have to sell the farm so these cows get the idea to, to capture the cattle rustler. Mm-hmm. And then you, the other thing is you don't have to try to you don't have to try to appeal to the emotions the way this movie very, very unsuccessfully tries to appeal to appeal to the emotions, right? Like there's a couple scenes in this movie where it's clear that you're supposed to be moved by them. And I mean, I wasn't, maybe you were, but it, I was not moved. In a seven minute short, <laughs> you don't have to do that. Yeah. Oh, man. Now I wish I could go back in time and fix this movie. Yeah. We just got to wait for the invention of time machines. You know, like, in, in previous episodes, we've been trying to figure out what the worst movie is, and it's it's been kind of hard to figure it out. But, I mean, now we know, right? Like, this is worse <laughs> than everything we've seen so far. This is way worse than Sword in the Stone. Absolutely. This is way worse than Dinosaur. Absolutely. Just imagine the sentence I just said, Josh. I said, this is way worse than Dinosaur. (laughs) This makes Dinosaur look like Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Do you know what the tagline for this movie is, Josh? It's Bust a Moo. (laughs) That tagline should have been enough to get Eisner fired on its own. That he let that through. Whew. Have we talked other... about how Judy Dench is in this movie? Dame Judy Dench, <laughs> like one of the greatest actors of her generation, is in this movie. She plays Mrs. Calloway. How, how did they Cal- get her? Calloway, Calloway right? Did, did she? The Walt Disney. I mean, that's the weird. This is the thing, Michael. Like, we would not be hating on this movie so much, except that they are Walt Disney. That's true. They can get, you know, Dame Judy Dench to come in and do whatever because they are Walt Disney. There is no excuse for this like, level of horribleness. It's just awful. Sorry. Go ahead. No, Talk no, about that's it. fine. I just, I wonder if she signed before she read the script or something. Like she knew. Oh, I want. I would love to be in a Disney movie. I, sign me up. Yeah, I feel really bad for. I, I mentioned this in a previous episode. Yeah, I forget who I was talking about, but you know, like you sign up to be in a Disney movie. I mean, if Disney, like, I mean, if you're in the because this movie went into production in the. Uh, late 90s, early 2000s, right? Like, they're still riding pretty high. So your agent calls you up and says, hey, do you want to be in a Disney animated feature? Do you read the script? Right, right. Or do you just say, yes, sign sign me up. Why, Especially why did if you you've got kids, me? right? <laughs> like, if, you, yeah. if you've got young kids, of course you're going you're gonna to agree to do it. I don't know, I don't know how old Judy Dench's kids are. Uh, way older than would be interested in her being in this movie, as it turns out. But... <laughs> she's got grandkids to think about <laughs> yeah that's, maybe, maybe that's true like because what would make you cooler other than going on sesame street yeah yeah that's the other thing sesame street sesame street calls you up you don't ask for a script you're just like yeah i'm on, I'm on board i'm there 
Yeah, yeah I, I felt bad for Judy Dench. And, I mean, for that matter, I felt bad for Jennifer Tilly, who is not a great actress, but is, you know, in better things than this, I suppose. Maybe. <laughs> she, I don't know her. I, I, don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm so bad at actors and actresses. I, I always lean on you for the for that information about who's good and who's not. Well, there are other good people in this movie, but uh, none of them are good in this movie. I'm afraid we're not even going to get to an hour on this episode, Josh. Like, <laughs> that's that's how bad it is. I, I I don't know if our listeners are hoping when there's a bad one that we're going to talk about it for two hours and just dump on it, but. <laughs> I don't have the energy to do that. I hated this movie so much. Yeah. And you know what's what's next is Chicken Little. <laughs> Could it be worse? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I would have told you before I watched this movie yesterday that Chicken Little's the worst, but I'm not sure it can be as bad as this one. Yeah, I was surprised at how bad this was. I think I said that already in this episode, but like it's a really it's a it's a steep drop off from from the movies we've been watching. I've been calling I mean, think this Think about that statement too, Josh. Is... It's a steep drop off from Brother Bear. <laughs> <laughs> like goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah. I'm reevaluating everything. Was Brother Bear actually good? <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'll tell you the other thing I didn't like about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like revenge? I, this actually goes back to your point about the Michael Eisner maybe trying to get revenge on DreamWorks. Like revenge is really the driving factor in this whole movie, and in not in a way that makes any sense at all. So, um, like it's it's a mindless name, like yeah, just a mindless revenge. Um, the, the the yodeling cowboy, whatever his name is, Slim, uh, you know, has this this tale to tell about how he used to work for the highfalutin ranchers and they didn't, they didn't appreciate his talent. So now he's going to uh, buy up all the land, which, you know, eh, doesn't, doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then uh, um, Roseanne's character, whatever, I forget her name too. um, You know, her whole thing is that she wants to get revenge on the fact that she used to have a home on the range, but uh, the, the cow, you know, the, the cow wrestler took that from her by stealing all the cows and driving her, her, her farm into bankruptcy. Um, yeah, just, I don't know, something about that, about, you know, movies that are entirely based on revenge <laughs> just doesn't sit right up with me. Well, maybe, maybe it's just another Tarantino reference. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Just, uh, yeah, doesn't, it doesn't feel very, uh, doesn't, doesn't feel, well, I mean, I know it's not, christ-like number one but like it's not just about like not being christ-like there's like something else about it that like it's i don't know it's just it's as a motivator for your movie and and for both your villain and your hero i guess quote-unquote hero to be basically seeking after the same sort of like mindless revenge like doesn't make any sense like because as i was as i was summarizing this movie for my wife she said it well you know she's like so she she's not worried about like her friends who are like kidnapped <laughs> or whatever right, you know, yeah, she, that never comes up at all does it yeah no not at all you know like they're 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 kidnapped basically before the movie begins and but like yeah there's no thought of them at all um she tries to spin it as she's about you know all about saving patch of heaven but 
as you mentioned earlier, why? Like for the same like why would Pearl be involved with her and why is she involved with Pearl? Like she isn't. I she I don't think she. There's not enough there to make it seem like she really cares about Patch of Heaven. She it really makes it seem like what she cares about is revenge on the on the cattle rustler and earning earning some sort of glory or something. I don't know. So that's not I know I know some of our listeners really appreciate it when I can make some sort of or you you or I can make some sort of reference to uh you know what we find positive in these movies about Christianity. Um but that's the closest I can get to a negative example in this movie, but it just really, uh, I wish I had more to say about it, but it just didn't sit right with me. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that. I mean, I don't like that, but I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But again, broken story, just, it, it, it leads to all sorts of problems. So I think that's, that's part of it. They did. They didn't know the character motivation. I've been moved well. to silence. <laughs> <laughs> A moment of silence for the people who really dedicated their lives to Disney animation and then had to end up working on this movie. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine like your whole your whole life you want to work for Disney and you get there and you get put on the home and the range B unit? Yeah. Yeah. My 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 guy that I really like. This may be the last Disney movie he worked on. I'm not positive. Andreas Deja, or Deja. I don't know how you pronounce his name actually, but um, he did some cleanup on this. I guess like he's in the credits uh, on uh, on Slim. He wasn't the lead animator on Slim, which normally that's where you see his name is. He's the lead animator, but he was in the, you know, the below. And somebody actually asked him about this movie on his website. His comment was, "I really don't remember anything about it." <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> so yeah so yeah there were there were good animators who worked on this movie so moment of silence for them well i mean presumably some of the best in the world were this is the last major 2d animated film right for any studio i guess until princess and the frog so i mean presumably like the best 2D animators in the world are working on this because DreamWorks after uh, Prince of Egypt stuck to 3D animation. Mm-hmm. So the, the people who did this must be the best at what they do. And well, yeah. Other than those working in uh, Japan. Yeah. I guess, <laughs> no, I guess that's true. That's true. In terms of Western animation. Yeah. Well, I really, I don't, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly surprised we made it this long. I know you said just a moment ago you didn't know if we we're gonna make it to an hour, but when I was getting ready to call you, I was like, I have about five minutes worth of stuff to say about this movie. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess we should have done it as short. <laughs> I, I I do think you you have the key to saving this movie, which is if they had just done it as a package film. I. I I think there's probably enough good ideas in terms of the plot that they could have saved it and then, you know, not put Roseanne in it. Yeah. Well, except we didn't really love the package films either. So no, that's, that's true. That's, that's faint praise, but I guess, yeah, but I think, I think you're right. It would work. So next we need to, when we get the, maybe the, the, since the possibility of having a real time machine seems like 
out of out of reach but like what if there was a uh you know michael and josh's excellent adventure where we travel through time just to fix um old old, bad movies (laughs) we'd probably make them worse you know what i mean (laughs) like if we were actually suits at disney in 2004 we probably we probably wouldn't have done much better but imagine the money we'd have in the bank now (laughs) oh man i am looking at the wikipedia page for chicken little and i'm looking at the soundtrack and it seems that it is largely classic rock songs sung by the cast all right (sighs) man i can't wait for that Also, the poster is don't, Chicken don't Little's butt, and it says the end is near. So, this might be it. Might be worse than Home on a Ranch. Don't say anything else about it because we're already going to be uh, under an hour on that one too. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, we'll save, save it. Save, save everything you can for it. All right. It's going to get better, ladies and gentlemen. It will, yes. I mean, and I, I will personally vouch for the movie after next, Meet the Robinsons, which is not one of their all-time greats, but which is really not bad. That's right. We are, we're close. So we're, we'll we're be close. moving back up soon. <laughs> All right. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. We're on the old interwebs at beforetheywere.live and christianhumanist.org. Please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at beforetheywerelive at gmail.com. We also want to encourage you to set your podcast player styles to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending the time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Joshua Altman, chauffeur. Hasta la vista, heifers.